Hello and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're in a beautiful new recording space at 340 Granite Street here at the Americans for Prosperity office. In, in my office, actually. <laughs> we are hunkered down in his office, but we can see out the window, so that's a plus. <laughs> yeah, and, and thanks so much for uh, bearing with us through this little hiatus. I think that we both got pretty busy, more me than Carla. Carla has been a steadfast, productive member of society, whereas I'm like, oh, I have a new job. Oh, my God, I have so much to do. So uh, really apologies, and thank you so much for uh, continuing to listen. And thank you to all our very loyal fans who keep checking back on the page and pinging me and asking yes. when the next episode's coming out. So here you are, the folks. The answer is now. So <laughs> today we're going to be talking a bit about uh, education policy. And here in New Hampshire, it's always a hot-button issue. Um, it's one of the main drivers of property taxes in towns. Uh, it can be the reason for towns to secede from other towns. That's actually what happened with Bedford. Uh, a little bit of New Hampshire history, if you didn't know. Bedford used to be a part of Manchester. Uh, they wanted a better school district. The kids there in Bedford would go to um, West High School. And basically, uh, as a result, they were like, we're going to build our own school and we're going to secede and become a new town. Um, and it's funny, that happened before I got here. I had no idea. And people in general, I think, uh, think of Bedford as oh, it's that pretty nice suburb of Manchester. And it's like, no, no, it, it was Manchester. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they now think of it as a separate city, you know, and, and of course it's on the west side of the river as we are uh, in West Manchester. But yeah, they built a really expensive school and uh, t property taxes are very high in Bedford. Right. Uh, that's probably an example of people saying they're willing to pay that to have a better outcome and a better school. Right. But yeah, education in New Hampshire is, you know, the number one driver of our property taxes. And so if 60% of my money, <laughs> literally, is going to the schools, then I think then I should have some kind of say in how those kids are being educated, what they're being taught, and whether they can read and write once Which they get out. seems like a pretty reasonable position. Um, and now there's a couple of major issues in education right now in New Hampshire. The biggest one really, I, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, well, there's one big background issue that just hangs out there, which is... Uh, uh, you know, there's a, a faction of the legislature that is just committed to getting rid of this children's scholarship fund uh, program that's here in the state. If you're not familiar with it, basically uh, businesses can donate money to the children's scholarship fund and deduct it from their business uh, enterprise tax. Tax, yeah. Yeah. So it's the the corporate tax here in New Hampshire. Businesses can donate money to the scholarship fund, which then goes to kids so that they can attend the schools that they want to attend. So um, in that case, it's uh, literally a scholarship that follows the child and they get, I believe it's, I mean, it's, it's like a thousand five hundred dollars. It's some kind of capped amount. Maybe yeah. it's three thousand and that goes with the child and that gives them an opportunity by way of example. One time I saw uh, there was this child who was getting bullied. He, he came from a Christian family. Uh, he was being bullied in his public school right. so much so that he was like getting beat up in, you know, the boys' bathroom for wearing Christian slogans on his T-shirt. Mm. I'm like, you know, maybe kid, don't wear, <laughs> don't wear your heart on your sleeve, so to speak. Uh. But you know, uh, he got a he got a scholarship through this program and went to a Christian academy and is quite happy now and came to the state house and testified and said, yeah. "Thank you for this. This actually really changed my life. Well, I'm no longer what, being bullied." And the big difference with with these kids is that getting them into a, a school or an education program that actually fits their needs and their desires and what they want to achieve in their life, it can, it can like save their life. That's uh, one of the things that I've been 
constantly impressed with uh, when I talk to Kate Baker about this, who's the person that runs the program, is uh, just so many stories like the one you just shared, where people are being horribly bullied. Uh, they're they're you know not learning anything because they're way ahead of their class, or not learning anything because they have educational you know learning disabilities and they need extra instruction and they're not getting it, so they're way behind in their class. And then when they get into a new situation, all of a sudden they start flourishing. Right. Um, and, and, and we should add with the scholarship program, one of the things I think is really cool, you know, one of the things we like to do on this program is sort of talk about like reasonable compromises and not like all this like total everyone digging in their heels, although I'm in a bit of a dig in your heels mood today, <laughs> I can't lie. But, you know, this this program, I believe, is capped at a certain amount. I don't remember what it is. Let's just say it's $10 million for for right now. And uh, based on a conversation I had with Kate Baker fairly recently, you know, they're nowhere near that limit. So my point is when people, you know, who are very, very invested in public education in a very traditional sense are um, – you know, digging in their heels, I want to say to them, hey, guys, like, we haven't even tapped out the private sort of solutions mm -hmm. or, you know, there, there's a lot more money businesses could be giving to kids in this scholarship program right. uh, to help more children. So if you're a small business owner or a big business owner or a business person who just thinks that kids should be able to learn according to their skills, check out Kate's uh, scholarship fund and donate to it. It's a tax write-off for you and you're helping kids learn yeah. according to their needs. And that's, it's a CSFNH is yep. the name. <laughs> just throw half an alphabet at you. <laughs> but, uh, but it, well, so that's one area where there's sort of a constant struggle fight. Every legislative session, there's a bill to repeal that program in its entirety, to send all those kids back to the schools that they were having a terrible time in. Um, and it seems, I mean, frankly, to me, it's a little bit petty and vindictive. It's like, oh, these, these kids are getting the education they want. Tough luck, children. You're going to get what we want. You I know, mean, I, it's, it's not <laughs> even just petty and vindictive. I mean, I was like gobsmacked. Eyes open, no friggin' way up at the state house last year where we were testifying when they were trying to do the appeal, uh, the repeal bill for this program. Yeah. Where the uh, chairman of that committee, I believe it's Alme is her name, uh, last oh, name. Oh, Susan Alme, yeah. Yeah. And so she was the chair lady of that committee and she let. Um, she let state employees, people who wanted to, you know, keep their fiefdoms and keep what they want, testify for the entire hour and 45 minutes, then spent 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes of the scheduled time. Now, please keep in mind, there were hundreds of school children and their parents who had come out to this, literally hundreds, yeah. who had taken time off from school, from work. Uh, from homeschooling in some scenarios to come tell people these stories about why this was important to them. She didn't spend the last 15 minutes saying how there wasn't enough time for these people to testify <laughs> this time. And so she would have another session scheduled in the next month for them to come back. So this is what we're dealing yeah. with, you know? So oh, when all, we all sound irked people, about things, yeah, you little people can just rearrange your schedule later. Yeah. You know, so, so, so when I feel irked and sound irked about stuff, you know, uh, we're trying to be reasonable. We're trying to talk to the other side and this is how we're being treated by the people whose salaries we pay. Yeah. Well, and so th that's that's an issue where um, you know there's 
the Children's Scholarship Fund is a it, it gives money to private institutions. So there, you know, it gives kids the opportunity to get out of the government schools and into private schools. Now, there's another set of issues uh, around charter schools here in the state, and charter schools. Just to clarify for people that don't know, they are public schools. They're publicly funded. They're they're accountable in the same ways, um, and basically, they're they're not private tuition-based schools. Uh, and when they open, they're available to any student that wants to go to them. Um, so I, I think that in some cases it would be a heck of a drive if, if you were in Berlin and you wanted to go to a charter school in Manchester, but you'd be able to do that. Um, and we have a, right now there's a situation with an education grant uh, from the Department of Education, uh, which the New Hampshire legislature requested, I believe, a year ago or two years ago, um, for $46 million, if I remember correctly, which is yep. a, no small chunk of change. No, um, that's some nice benefits right, right that'll, there. <laughs> that'll build a school or two. Um, so the legislature requested this money, and what it was supposed to do was go to uh, double the number of charter schools in the state. So basically there's some very successful models uh, in Nashua. There's a tech high school that's been extremely successful. They're just going to build another one uh, so more kids can have that opportunity. Now, uh, because of some partisan back and forth and, you know, people that are ideologically stuck in their trenches, uh, the, the committee that votes on these things actually voted to not accept that $46 million. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not, I, I obviously know that, but just to emphasize for everyone listening. So Democrats said no to free money. All yes. of that was in air quotes, of yes. course, but that's what happened. Well, and it was amazing. I mean, so... Uh, Republicans and conservatives and people frequently talk about the uh, unfunded liabilities that come with those sorts of federal grants. Like, for example, Medicare expansion. Um, the problem that people had with that is that, yeah, you're giving us this money now, but this is going to need to continue for many, many years, and we're on the hook for everything after the first five years or whatever. Um, with this charter school grant, though, because the schools are tuition, you know, they're, they're paid for by the students, um, there's no aspect where the state would ever need to bail them out. And if they don't succeed, they go out, out of, of business. business. They just don't exist anymore. And, and we know that's happened. I mean, yeah. I know of uh, at least two charter schools that have, you know, opened in the decade I've been, the 12 years I've been here, that have closed, that haven't yeah. been successful. And of course, that is how the market's supposed to work, right? Well, and a lot of time, We're yeah. not supposed to subsidize things to the extent where 200 years later, it is literally failing at every single right. metric that it is supposed to be delivering on. And yet, Supported we should have money, more yeah. of that, yeah, please. Right. Well, and so, I mean, if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to be a critic of charter schools, I guess that you could say, well, it's interesting. It's the same dynamic that happens at regular public schools. So uh, from what I understand, what frequently happens is that um, the quality of a school is really about the quality of the parents who are involved in that school. Obviously, the teachers matter. The, the physical building matters. All that stuff matters. But the biggest difference is how much the parents are involved in and care about the education. And and to be clear there, that's basically talking about sort of, um, you know, your family unit. So, yeah. so you know, with the parents come the children. So I would say the most important in the scenario, of course, is the kids, right? right? But we do know, and there's a lot of data to back this up, that parental involvement is the leading indicator of right. 
you know, long-term and, success. Right, and schools that are successful, they tend to have lots of parents that are deeply involved in their kids' education. So, uh, for example, uh, at New Canaan, in New Canaan, Connecticut, in the middle school where I went, uh, my friend Danielle's mother was extremely involved. She was like a warrior for these kids, trying to make sure that everybody gets a great education, that it's all, you know, uh, best practices that are being used. And she, you know, she was like steering this ship of we're keeping these schools as great as possible. Um Unfortunately, what it seems like is sometimes people can rise to those roles of prominence and leadership, and then once their kids leave, then they're not involved anymore, and then the quality goes down. So I think that it's possible that with charter schools, you could have, especially a charter school where the founder has a kid that goes there, um, you could have somebody where they're going to put in an amazing you know, 12 years of work, but then after that, maybe it falls off if it's not maintained. But the thing is, that's the exact same problem that public schools have, but the public schools don't go out of business when they stop being successful. Right, so. right, which, you know, just, I mean, I'm going to put my typical plug in for, for, you know, market forces, and that's the thing that just astounds me when we have these conversations and when we do these debates with people. It's like we know that competition works to right. make things better and to drive down prices. And then we have this one scenario where everyone, the government, the state, where we have this monopoly on force, on violence, right, with the police, mm. on justice, with the courts, and then on education. And it's like, but it's not working. I don't right. know what to tell you that we know throwing more money at the problem is also not solving the problem. Yeah. There are places, you know, here in New Hampshire, we pay, I think it's on average, I forget, I think it was average, not median, but, you know, I'm willing to uh, admit if I'm wrong, but, you know, we're spending about $13,000 per student. Yeah, it's, I think it's from, if I remember correctly, it's from 12000 to 17000 depending on the district. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, so, and now ex extrapolate that over 12 years i'm like we could literally buy every child in the state a house like a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house and be like hey homeschool yourself in this house you'll probably be better off <laughs> i mean no, really? I, I i know or, or i mean you could uh, th there's there's all kinds of things that you could do if people weren't stuck in this sunk cost fallacy of we've been doing things this way for so long we need to continue doing them and I think that the other key part of this, too, is that, um, you know, neither Carla nor I, and I, I don't want to speak for you, Carla, but uh, none of this comes from a place of, like, I want to deny education to anyone or the, 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 the goal of all of these reforms and programs and experiments is to try to find a way to get people the education they need to be successful, self-actualized adults uh, in a way that is not... Uh, insanely expensive well insanely in expensive and then also just this sort of idea of what are we teaching our kids right mm -hmm. so i think there's a fundamental difference that we see between messaging from the left and from my perspective i'm not even going to say it's from the right you know i i actually think you know us libertarians are kind of the normal people in the middle just watching all this noise right. at this stage of everyone else who's just kind of on the fringe but we 
we believe that people, you know, the self-actualization comes from striving, from like trying, yeah. from that's what the word competition means is to better and not necessarily also to better other people, but to better yourself, right? right? And so w- when we have this mentality where we're teaching everyone they're just a victim and they're just, you know, they can't and, ooh, we have to help you in a handout and blah blah I'm like, all of those things are important. Private charity, of course, is important. But, you know, we want kids to learn that they are creative, smart, imaginative beings that can actually achieve stuff. And we are currently building and propagating schools that were built, you know, by a Austrian model, Prussian model, Prussian model, Prussian model <laughs> of let's make little cogs. So if we do think the world is going to become um, more and more automated, which we know, mm. then maybe we shouldn't have a school system that is still trying to create people who are supposed to go work in factories because we're not going to have factories. And so we need to change what we're doing. Well, and it's a complicated question. And frankly, it's a question that I think is sort of outside of my realm of expertise, putting together a that curriculum. That doesn't stop us doing anything <laughs> this on this show. It sure doesn't stop other people. So, um, No, but I, putting together a curriculum is is a challenge because there's so much knowledge in the world. And I mean, I, I think that the, um, the thrust of all of it is uh, it should be to teach people to think for themselves and how to incorporate new information into their world to update their worldview, make it more accurate, and, you know, continue to move through the world successfully. I mean, dare dare we say people should learn how to think, not what to think, because that is certainly how I was taught, you know? It's like, oh, if you have... If you develop critical think- thinking skills, which of course is in and of itself a skill, mm. then we're lucky because we have this magical thing called the internet where you can go find answers if you're curious enough to ask questions. Right. No, and that, I mean, so the, and the other thing about it is that we, I, so everybody has different ideas of what, what constitutes a, a proper education too. And I think that that's what a lot of the controversy comes from is, um, for example, what, what is a civics education, you know? Um, what does it mean uh, to really learn about the way that the country works? Because then you, you see these, uh, you know, textbook copies and textbook handouts and stuff where it basically makes it look as though, you know, the government granted you your rights. I know. You, you have the privilege of voting so that you can decide what rights you have I, thanks I know. to the government. It's, it's shocking. It's, it's like an inversion of reality. Right. I, I saw a really great thing on, um, on Facebook yesterday that was talking about if you replace uh, the words uh, guns in, uh, in the Second Amendment with books. Right. Yeah. So if you just said you have the, the right, right to, to keep books. keep and bear books <laughs> and then imagine in that scenario, then the Supreme Court or anyone with a straight face arguing, well, that doesn't mean you can have all books at right. all times or, you know, we're, we're, we're going <laughs> to legislate which particular books are. Right. And I thought it was such a fantastic example. But I do want to talk a little bit about um, this uh, Manchester Proud thing that happened here in in our city. Oh, yeah. Go, go so, ahead. So this was a group of people who um, are business leaders, you know, educators, uh, you know, it's it's names we know. And, and some of them are people I like. <laughs> no. And they put together just this private group 
that then spent two years kind of doing community involvement, very, um, you know, so Alinsky-esque kind of tactics, <laughs> I would say, uh, if I was being uncharitable. Or just, you know, they put up a lot of meetings and they had, yeah. they claim meetings with over 8,000 um, people over the two years. And then they wrote this policy paper. Now, this is supposed to be a nonpartisan group. No one can really figure out quite where all the money is coming from, but right. sure. So they wrote this policy paper that is now being adopted by the Manchester School Board, um, where you know some of the some of the ideas are just sort of uh, you know codifying I guess uh, things that have been happening. So one of the things is they're moving fifth graders from uh, up to middle school, mm -hmm. and they've already done that on the west side, and they're going to be doing that all over the city in the next two to three years. That's going to cost us some particular money. Um, they are also spending a good chunk of uh, like millions of dollars, four to five million dollars, I believe, is now going to be spent on teacher uh, professional development. I was kind of surprised by that because I was like, really, that's the priority that we came out of all of this from. So um, I will say that. Um, I was, you know, a little surprised by that. And then, of course, here in Manchester, we don't actually have a teacher's union contract. We haven't had one for like 300 plus days. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, so so uh, uh, Mayor Joyce Craig was on the radio this morning on NPR, not answering questions about how the police shoot people and tear gas them to death, but rather answering these questions and uh, talking about, you know, uh, how the teachers need to get be paid fairly and have sustainable salaries. Um, so I do always find it curious when, you know, on the one hand, they're talking about taking uh, federal grants for rail, you know, for rail out of right. Manchester, but now, they now won't that's take... that's an unfunded liability. Yeah, but they won't <laughs> take, you know, take money for the charter schools. So um, I, I, you know... I know that we are putting together various groups. I know that uh, Chris Maidement, I believe, has started a reform group for yeah, that's right for statewide. charter schools and yeah, um, and school choice. What was it called? It's a uh, Grand Staters for Education Reform, I believe. Yeah, and okay. and that's a Facebook group. Yeah, there, you can find it on Facebook, and he's going to be, I think, doing a lot more stuff in that realm. Um, especially because some of the one of the other large groups recently uh, sort of closed up shop um, after many years of, of great service. And thank you to uh, Michelle Lavelle for all oh, the great work wow. that she did. Oh wow, she's yeah. she's not. I well, did she's not. they're they're reorgan they're reorienting their their purpose towards. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's it's just uh, homeschooling stuff. Oh, okay. So, so of course there is a strong homeschooling community here. Yeah. But it, the reason I had brought up uh, Mayor Joyce Craig and sort of this whole. Man Manchester Proud thing was um, in that report they talk about magnet schools yes and I had a question and maybe you know the answer to this but like what is the difference what is a magnet school and how is that different to say a charter school or Fine. are we literally talking semantics <laughs> and because somehow liberty oriented people or people who want children to actually be educated according to their personal needs and not the needs of the system or the union or the institutions, but actually according to the needs of the children. Um, I thought magnet schools and charter schools are pretty much the same thing, right? Now, my, my understanding is that the way that they work is a little bit different. Um, typically, it's about... Uh, they have a very specific curriculum. So it's like uh, like 
I th- gosh, and um, apologies if I totally get this wrong, but I think like Brooklyn Tech is a is a magnet school that's in Brooklyn. They just do STEM stuff, like that's their main curriculum. And the way that it works is that they can draw students from a number of different school districts. Um, and to, then it's like some kind of lottery system, right? Because everyone wants right, to go to the good to get schools. In. Right, exactly. And <laughs> so the, and, why can't all and there the be tests be and stuff good? Like that. <laughs> well, I mean, so, and that's, that's a good because question. Because decentralization, smaller little groups doing things, and those little groups competing against each other right. will give us a better outcome than this one blanket, yeah. everyone needs to be the same. Well, I mean, I think that the what people would say, why can't, they all be like that is because there are students that are not smart and that are going to have a very hard time with school. So if you make all the schools, these specialized oases of academic achievement, what do you do with the people that are never going to get a pluses? You know what I mean? Well, but the the thing is, and, and I mean, no one wants to talk about this, but one of the suggestions I've heard from several teachers, mostly subs, and I, I feel like the substitute teachers probably you know, are already sort of in those groups of uh, children who possibly just do not want to be at school. Right. And more than one has now said to me, the number one thing we can do is to not force children who do not want to be at school to go to school. So that either means changing the age mm. or just saying, you know, if you have parental consent, you can opt out. And then, of course, but the problem is because we have um, coddled children to such an extent, right? right so so this 14-year-old, yeah, this 14-year-old who possibly is like, eh, you know what, I really just like to... Uh, you know, put mechanical things together or, you know, this is my aptitude. Like I'm good right. at these things and could go do that. You know, go be a plumber, yeah. go be a, you know, rocket scientist, go be whatever it is. Well, that's what cracks me up thinking about all the kids who told their parents they wanted to be video game designers in the nineties. And their parents were like, that's stupid. And it's like, Oh, that multi-billion dollar industry is stupid. Actually, you could have, should have done that. Right. <laughs> Not only that, you know, when they were young kids, but I remember, and I think I may have mentioned this on a previous show but I remember this kid telling me she wanted to be a fashion designer for video characters yeah and I thought this was probably a good 20 years ago so I was sort of that wave of those first kids right who were like oh I want to go do this crazy techie stuff and everyone was like no that's not a real career yeah (laughs) and and I'm like wow to be a fashion designer for you know gaming characters I was like that's so cool yeah well, and the thing is, like, I, I think that young people have those kind of crazy ideas. And, the, and obviously not everyone's successful in everything they do. But the ones that stick with it, they're the visionaries. And the ones that get it drummed out of them end up being the middle managers. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, we've talked about this before on the show where I'm like, you know, when I was 15, 16 and, you know, finishing high school. And really, you know, people were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, the the magic question. And I was like, I want to be a fashionista and a writer. Yeah. <laughs> and, you Nailing know, it. and here we are, you know, almost 50 years later, I was a lawyer in between, a teacher, I don't know, a nonprofit director. I've done a lot of, lot of stuff. And I'm like, no, but really, I just want to be a fashionista and a writer. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> and, you know, and, and pontificate senselessly on things. <laughs> well, it's funny. I just did this uh, professional development questionnaire thing and um 
Anyway, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be, because I saw Jurassic Park, I wanted to be a genetic engineer. Of course. Because I wanted to make dinosaurs. <laughs> I, I was and, like, for a second, I thought you were going to be like, I wanted to be a dinosaur. Buff. I'm like, legit. I also wanted to be a dinosaur. <laughs> and then I got a little more sophisticated than that. But uh, no, I don't know. It's funny. I still don't know what I want to be uh, when I grow up in some ways. Well, I don't. And I've already grown up. So that's the problem. I do know. It's like, it's funny. The, the, uh, the What I want to be was never like a, a particular profession. It was more like a set of uh, qualities. Like, for example, uh, I would like to be influential and respected. Mm-hmm. And so like. In, in the past paradigm, that would be like, all right, we'll be a doctor or a lawyer or a whatever. But growing up in the new media world, it's like, oh, there's a lot more options than that to be influential and respected. Right, right. <laughs> and and of course, I mean, that is how I ended up in law school because, you know, no one wants to be like, oh, you have the choice of being something that has a fancy letter behind its name. You know, we, we were just, I think that's how we were raised. Certainly I was raised sort of in that culture and all of that. But the opportunities now are endless. You know, I was doing an um, interview yesterday for a different investment podcast. And the, you know, the guy was asking, you know, what can we change in education? And I think what we should be changing is how we actualize people and children, right? Because if we are going to move, like we're actually moving towards a world of plenty in terms of you know, what the world can provide, you know, we throw right away a lot of food. Like, the world is incredibly rich, regardless yeah. of what people, you Richer know, Richer than we've ever been in human ever, history. Ever been, right? And, and so I think it's about waking up and not suppressing those, you can't be a fashionist or you can't be a writer or you can't be a you know, molecular yeah. dinosaur, mole- you know, scientist or whatever. Everything an we overbearing should... parent ever said in a teenage coming of age movie when they're like, you can't do that thing. Right. But I think <laughs> I think we should be thinking about the world as what if we say you can do those yeah. things? Like, you know, why? Why do we take what people are passionate about and tell them you can't do that? Right, that even... seems like an awful system. Right. Well, and, and that's the other thing is about like dreams and stuff. I, I think that also I, I'm not an education expert. So, again, take this with a grain of salt. But I can't help but think that um, teaching people skill sets in terms of like what do you want to what do you want to do well you're going to need to know how to do uh, finance and balance a checkbook you're going to need to know how to do purchasing and receiving so that you can get your inventory you're going to need to know how to do graphic design if you I'm talking about if you want to be a fashion designer right for online, sure. you know um, right so it's like help kids get those skills, but it's discrete skills that are informed by well, competencies like reading, writing, math, etc. But you show them how it's useful. Basic skills, like, you know, we used to have home ec and shop, right? And yeah. I think that those are skills that people kind of should know because I think the more we instill in people the belief that they can do things yeah. for themselves as opposed to, uh, oh, I don't know how to, you know, make an omelet, or I don't know how right. to sew on a button, or yeah, you know, giving, and it's giving like, people the ability to control their own lives. Yeah, and and that is liberating in the truest sense of the word. It's true. Um, well, I think we're coming up on a half hour here, uh, but I think uh, this whole issue—it's not going to go away. Uh, education and figuring out the way to get uh, an effective. Uh, quality education to kids, not just in New Hampshire, but through the whole country. Uh, I don't think this is going to stop being a problem anytime soon, but I hope that innovative thinkers are going to have the opportunity to experiment a little bit more um, and try some different things because obviously, you know, just like drug prohibition, 
when it's obvious that a policy isn't working, the stupidest thing you can do is say, well, we've already sunk all this time and resources into it. we got to save this thing. Like, mm, sometimes it's better to just try different things. Right. And, and that is what I would love to see here in New Hampshire. You know, uh, let's get more competition in. If people want to call them magnet schools, we can call them that. If they want to call them charter schools, homeschool, beekeeping, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Here's what should happen. Let the money follow the children. That solves all the problems because, you know, yeah. people who, who get confused about how the state and, and religion are supposed to be separated will be upset with the initial story I told because right. they'll be like, somehow... My money has now, the state's money has gone right, to like some Christian to, child. And right, I'm like, and they'll learn to be who, a creationist. You know, so who, yeah. who, who cares about that stuff? Here's what you should care about. It's your money. You want it to be spent properly. That's what I want. I personally would like to be $4,000 a year richer is what I would be if, you know, we could figure out the education stuff. The money should follow <laughs> the children. I agree. I, I could use that three grand. Six so grand so that I, I think people city. should start <laughs> thinking about things in those terms. It's fine for, you know, the unions and these, you know, superintendents and these people who are making $200,000 plus a year yeah. who, who are like, oh, no, people can just pay more. And, oh, we right. don't care if the deliver, you know, so what, you know, we. So here's the state in a nutshell. They fail, they fail, they fail. Then they're like, oh, this time we're going to fail less. Give us more money. Give us more money. Look at the veterans administration. Look at the VA. I mean, they've been trying to do this stuff for, you know, almost a hundred years. If they could get it right, if this was the right approach, these things would be surely solved by now with the millions and trillions of dollars we spent. So right. let's try new things. And here in New Hampshire is the hotbed yeah. ground zero to try all of it. So let's do it. We've got all these great little communities. I can't think of a better place to try out some different things. Uh, and, you know, maybe we won't come up with the answers for everybody throughout the whole country but I would love to get a little closer to the answers for New Hampshire. So uh, thank you so much for listening to us and for spending a little time during your day with Carla and Brink. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back again next week with more show. We promise. Yes, we do promise. <laughs> All so, right, guys. Thanks again and have a great day. Peace out.